I've got a great privilege today to introduce our speaker. I go back to uh, 1975. I was saved. Yeah, you may be seated and the kids can go. <laughs> 75, I was saved. I walked. I didn't walk with the Lord for a couple years. Uh, maybe it was just the immaturity. Didn't really understand walking with Jesus. Uh, heard a message. Uh, rededicated my life, started uh, ministering at First Portland Baptist Church of Brockton, New York. And I say all that because uh, after some time of ministering in the Iwana program and um, speaking and some different other things, uh, our pastor, who is still the pastor, Larry Morrison, uh, looked at me and he said, you need to go to Bible college. <laughs> he didn't just say that. I, I don't remember him just saying that. What he said was, you need to go to practical Bible training school. And it was like no other option. In fact, if you had asked me at that point when I was like 20, like, is there other colleges out there? I had no idea. All I knew is my pastor told me, I need because he said, you're being called to ministry, you need to go. And you need to go here. And, and I was on my way, and the rest is history. I say all that because I go back to that so often. I am so grateful that the Lord used a godly pastor to direct me to a very, very solid uh, biblical school, you know. Now, now PBTS is no longer PBTS, it's Davis College. But again, I, for 30 years, almost 30 years, I've been studying the Bible. And what they taught me then, I still hold to. I have put it through all these grids, biblical grids, and it turns out that what I learned at first is what I still believe today. And I'm very grateful for that. My theology has not changed because they're a very, very solid school. So a great pleasure. I introduce to you uh, Dino Padron, the president of Davis College. Well, thank you, Pastor. It's my joy to be here. Wasn't that a great worship time this morning? Thank you. That was awesome. You'll have to come up to the college sometime and lead that worship. That was great. I'm glad my wife is with me today. I think she was here last time. Maybe not. I'm not sure. But uh, she and I just celebrated our 47th wedding anniversary. And so we're happy about that. She says she's going to stick it out with me now, which I'm very delighted about that. Now, you're wondering how old I am. I know that. I was five when I was married. She was four. Now you can figure the math out. I was speaking up near Rochester, New York one time, and uh, this little boy that came to the service, he sat right down front, had a bow tie on, handsome little fella. He listened to every word I said, seemingly. He was out at the table after the service chatting with me for a little bit, and uh, I thought, what an articulate young boy. He looked to be, again, seven or eight or nine years of age, and he was asking me all of these questions about the college. I thought, someday he'll come to our college. I had mentioned the fact that our college is over 100 years old. And so finally he said, now the college is over 100 years old. I said, yes. Uh, he said, are you the founder? I didn't think that was very funny, by the way. <laughs> I am so glad to be here. Pastor, thank you for the invitation. We appreciate so much your pastor. And if you're glad for your pastor, say a hearty amen. amen. Wonderful man of God. We appreciate him so much. And uh, we're delighted, uh, delighted to be here to speak, but also to talk to you about our college. And uh, those of you that are interested in our college to come, this sheet of paper out there will, on one sheet, tell you a lot about Davis College. There are really three ways to go to Davis. One is come on site, which is the best way. I like your pastor did to come onto this campus. 
our campus. We are now are developing a second campus called the Crisfield Campus, which we have just recently uh, purchased. A second way to go to our college is through online. And uh, there are online uh, programs at our college. We now have up to the associate's degree online. And very shortly, the bachelor's degree will be totally online and duly accredited as well. And a third way is what we call teaching sites. We have 18 of them now up and down the East Coast. And so there are three ways to go to Davis. And uh, we also are delighted to tell you that we have bachelor's programs in Christian counseling, uh, Christian ministries, including the languages of Greek and Hebrew and general ministries, International Ministries, which is what your, your church is now honoring these weeks together. We have International Ministry and Cross-Cultural Communication, and also Bible Translation. Pastoral Studies, which is one of my favorites in the biblical languages and Bible exposition. Teaching English as a second language, youth ministry, music and worship, organizational leadership, and also elementary ed. All of these programs are there at Davis College in a bachelor's program. We have uh, two programs in the uh, associate's programs. One is Bible and Theology, the other Christian Ministry, and then we have a one-year certificate program. This sheet tells you how many students go to the college, tells you a little bit about the finances. We have just adopted a program at our college, by the way, that when you attend Davis College, uh, we're happy to tell uh, students that when they leave, if they're making less than $35,000 a year, we have what is called the LRAP program where we can help them to pay back some of the debt that they've had in coming to Davis College. And so a lot of great things happening. This sheet will tell you a lot about that. And also I have a very special presentation to make to you today. This is voted on by the Board of Trustees of Davis College and given to you in your pastor's name. It is our belief that pastors and Christian leaders are the key to having the best student body to train for ministry. And so with that in mind, we are giving to your church today a Timothy Scholarship Certificate that uh, your pastor and leadership can give to someone to come to Davis College. It is valued at $500 per semester or $4,000 for four years. And Pastor, if you come, sir, I want to give this to you. And this is our gift to you from Davis College. Thank you, Pastor. I've written a number of books. I brought four of them with me today. Uh, this one is called God is Always at Work, Even When You Do Not Know It. Did you ever notice that? And uh, God is at work in your life. This is a study, verse-by-verse study, through the book of Esther. I preached a number of Bible conferences on the book of Esther. And one day it dawned on me that the book of Esther's theme is not really Esther nor Mordecai. And it certainly isn't Haman. But the theme of the book of Esther is the God who's not even named. God is never mentioned in the book of Esther. Yet all through the book of Esther you will read about this God. And so that book has just, just come off the press God is always at work, even when you do not know it. It is a Bible commentary, a practical commentary. This one is a verse-by-verse study through the book of Romans. What in the world is God doing? People are asking that question all the time. And this is a verse-by-verse study through the book of Romans. I was a pastor uh, for right up 40 years, and twice I took over a year to preach and teach through Romans. Put much of that material into what is a very practical commentary. And then this book is called The Influence of Peter. Uh, One of my favorite people in the Bible is the Apostle Peter. I think all of us have a little bit of Peter in us. Um, one of my good friends, Dr. Donald Hubbard, said that he was, Peter was one time going strong, but then he was going wrong. But aren't you glad he made a comeback? And that's so often true about the Christian life. And what this is, is a synopsis of his life at the beginning, and a verse-by-verse study through First and Second Peter with a testimony of a businessman who came to Christ uh, reading about the life of Peter. Then this booklet is called Israel Get Ready. And there are over 50,000 of these in, uh, in print now, and some of these are already now in Hebrew, and we've been able to get these into the hand of all of the parliament in the nation of Israel. Uh, the prime minister has a copy of this. 
And it's talking about the nation of Israel, what is happening, and the fact that Messiah is coming. And so that booklet is back there as well. Uh, there are four books. You can get uh, this book for just $5. The commentaries are $10. You can get all four books for just $25. If you don't have any money, just take the books. You can mail me the money whenever you get the money. And if you don't think you'll ever have any money, get it from your pastor. He has lots of money, all right? <laughs> no, you just take the books if you don't have the money and, be, and just send it to me whenever you get it. Open your Bibles, please, to the book of Psalms. I want to talk to you today in light of what you're doing here at the church with missions on the subject of the missionary-minded God. We could subtitle this, How God is Known. How God is Known. Psalm chapter number 19 with the great Old Testament Psalms. Psalm chapter number 19. I'm reading, beginning in verse 1, this marvelous Old Testament Psalm. The Bible says, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament shows his handiwork. Day unto day utters speech, and night unto night reveals knowledge. There is no speech nor language where their voice is not heard. Their line has gone out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. And then he has set a tabernacle for the sun, which is like a bridegroom coming out of his chamber, and rejoices like a strong man to run its race. His rising is from one end of heaven, and its circuit to the other end, and there is nothing hidden from its heat." The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, yes, than much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and the honeycomb. Moreover, by them your servant is warned, and in keeping them there is great reward. Who can understand his errors? Cleanse me from secret faults. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me, that I shall be blameless and I shall be innocent of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my strength and my Redeemer." If you and I were putting a heading over Psalm 19, we could put on there the revelation of God. We could put on there the irresistible God, the fact that there is a God who, quite frankly, cannot be resisted except by our own sin. But also we can put at the top of the psalm simply this idea, how God is known. About four or five years ago, my wife and I had missionaries at the college, and we took them out to supper. And so we went to a nice restaurant and. Uh, now, I ordered something that night that my wife refuses to make for me. And I'm going to take a little survey this morning to see how well you folks do. I love liver and onions. Does anybody here like liver and onions? Let me see your hands. All seven of you. That's wonderful. Liver and onions. <laughs> my wife wants nothing to do with liver and onions, and so I have to order it. She threatens to go to another table and sit when I order it, but I go ahead and eat it. So I had this huge meal of liver and onions. The missionaries ate. We had just a wonderful time. And then it was time for dessert. And so the waitress came by and she said, uh, would, uh, would you like some dessert? I said, oh, no, I am too full. That was a great meal. And the missionary said, we'd like to look at the d- dessert menu. But she did one better than that. She brought the desserts out on a platter. And uh, I looked at that platter and I saw something absolutely irresistible. And I remember they, she, got the, uh, she got the order from the missionaries. And then she skipped me. I said, wait a minute. No, no. She said, you didn't want anything. I said, well, I do now. 
I said, I want that piece of carrot cake right there. I don't want you to get another piece of carrot cake. I want you to get that carrot cake right there. If you do not know that the marriage supper of the Lamb, we will eat carrot cake, just so you know that, all right? And uh, so she gave me the carrot cake. It was irresistible. And she said to my wife, what would you like? She said, oh, I won't have anything. I'll just have a piece of my husband's carrot cake. I said, no, she won't. She'll have to get her own carrot cake. <laughs> and I went out of there stuffed and miserable, but man, that was a good piece of carrot cake. Irresistible. Have you ever thought of your God as irresistible? I, when I became president of Davis College, I, I flew from Florida to Binghamton every week, back and forth. I had ministry in Florida. And every once in a while, I had these unusual conversations because I flew so much, they put me right in the front class, the, the first class section of the airplane. And, and one day, I was flying from Fort Lauderdale up to Philadelphia, and a young man sat next to me. He was 18 years of age, and he was a student at Temple University. I asked him what he did, and he asked me what I did. He said, you know, I, I want to talk to you. He, I said, what do you want to talk about? He said, well, I've always wanted to talk to somebody like you. How do you really know there is a God? I thought, what a great opportunity this is. So I opened up to Psalm chapter 19, and we walked through Psalm 19 with that student from Temple University. We had a great conversation. He was a very bright young man. I was almost certain at the end that he would probably accept the Lord. And so as we were flying to Philadelphia, I asked him if he would like to accept the Lord. And he thought for a few moments, and he said, no, I don't think I would. Well, I said, why not? Wasn't I clear enough with you about it? He said, no, you were very clear. I said, do you understand? He says, no, I understand it very well. I said, well, then why won't you accept the Lord? And here's what he said. He said, my father, whom I love very much, in fact, he paid for my ticket to go to Fort Lauderdale for spring break. Uh, he said, my father does not believe there is a God. And he said, I would have to ask my dad before I do something like this. He's a good father. It was obvious to me that his father had great influence on him. But he said, he doesn't believe in a God. I said, can I have your dad's cell phone number or email? He said, no, no, you're not going to do that. He said, no, you're not going to call him. But he said, I tell you right now, he said, I, I, I think I would believe it except for my father. Powerful influence. This psalm, Psalm 19, is talking to us about how God can be known. You see, there's a greater question than, is there a God? The greater question is, how can God be known? Look at this psalm. Notice in verses 1 through 6, we find, first of all, that God is known through the wonders above, in verses 1 through 6. In verse 7, going down to verse number 11, we find that God is known through the word within. In verses 1 through 6, we find that God is seen, he is known through the wonders above, and secondly, he is known or seen in the word within, that's verses 7 down through verse 11. Then the last part of the chapter, beginning in verse 12 and going to the end, speaks about the fact that God is seen by the workers without. So let's look at verses 1 through 6, first of all, and notice with me that God is known through the wonders above. Again, verse number 1 says, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament shows his handiwork. In verse number 1, we find then the argument for God. It simply says, The heavens declare the glory of God. I firmly believe the great theme of Scripture is the glory of God. Everything goes back to God's glory. So the heavens declare the glory of God. If you come to Davis College and take a class in Theology 101, we talk about the arguments for God. For example, there is what is called the teleological argument for God that says everything is in, in order. It's amazing when you look at the universe and let's see the universe, you see that everything has its order. 
A few years ago, I was walking with one of my granddaughters out in the yard, and, and it was night out, and the s- stars were all over the place, and, and everything was in such order. We were chatting about the stars, and, and, and she, had, she was walking with my hand, and, and all of a sudden, I saw a falling star. And I said, Ella, look at that falling star, and she never did see it. I was trying to explain it to her, and I'm not sure she understood what I, what I was trying to say to her. But when there was a falling star, it, it looked so out of order to the order that was there. The argument for God tells us that there is an order to the universe. There's another argument that is called the cosmological argument for God that says that there's a cause behind all of this. Somebody must have put this into being. <laughs> you go out and look at night, on a clear night. Now, I live in Binghamton, New York, and we don't have too many clear nights, to be honest with you. But when you can see a clear night, it's amazing to see the, the beauty of the universe. Somebody brought that to being. There is what is called the anthropological argument for God that tells us that that mankind is moral from the animal world. There's something uniquely different about a human being. Uh, My wife and I have a little shih tzu dog at the house, and and it's a great little dog, but every once in a while it walks over to uh, to where the neighbor is at, and they have a a, a big shepherd dog over there, and uh, once in a while he tries to eat the food. And when he does, he always comes back sick. And I remember one day he did that. I had him in my lap, and I was explaining to him not to go back over there again. And it dawned on me, he's a dog. He doesn't understand a word I'm saying. You see, we are different from the animal world. Then there was what is called the ontological argument for God that says there must be somewhere in the universe a perfect being who put all things into existence. Even Descartes, the philosopher, who did not believe much about God, said there must be a perfect being somewhere. R.C. Sproul put it this way. He said, men are never duly touched and impressed with a conviction of their insignificance until they have contrasted themselves with the majesty of God. I'm going to tell you today, we have a great God. Would you agree with that? I read in a science journal when I was sitting in a, a waiting room one day, that Danielle Yankowski, who I do not know, said, there are 350 billion galaxies in the universe. Now, I've not counted them. I don't know if that's exactly true or not. But if it's anything close to that, it's wonderful to think about the irresistible God. I've read that a caterpillar has in its head 228 distinct muscles. In the Amazon, there are 3,000 different species of trees in a one-mile radius. And scientist Ed Wilson has written, there are 10,000 species of ants, 300,000 flowers and plants, and 10,000 species of birds. It is saying to us something about what this verse is saying. The heavens declare the glory of God. The reason we send missionaries all over the world is because we understand there's something about this God that people need to know about. But look at verse number 2, and notice in verse 1 you have the argument of God. In verse 2 you have the argument about God. It says, day unto day utters speech, and night unto night reveals knowledge. In other words, this thing about God can be seen in all of the universe, but there's something about the knowledge of God that's embedded that God has given to us. Turn in your Bibles over to Romans chapter 1, if you would, for just a moment. Go to the book of Romans and look at chapter number 1. And I want you to look at me at Romans chapter 1, verse number 20, this great chapter that talks about the fact that God's wrath is placed upon the unrighteous. And the question is, uh, to people have an excuse? Well, in Romans chapter 1, verse 20, the Bible very clearly gives us the answer. 
Romans chapter 1, look at verse number 20. The apostle writes these words. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, thus the things that you cannot see about him, his holiness, his righteousness, his, his love, his justice, his judgment, the invisible attributes are clearly seen, notice, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. In other words, when you look into the universe, it says something to us that there is God. And frankly, he is a rather irresistible God. I have in my library a couple of little books uh, written by a missionary named Helen Rosevere. And really what they are, they're simply little stories that she tells about her work in Africa. She tells a story that goes like this. She said one day she got in her truck and she was driving out through an area that was rather dangerous and her truck just simply stopped. And she got out and she opened up the hood and she was looking at the motor and You'd have to almost read her humor when she says, I'm looking at a motor, I have no idea what to do with the thing. And she said, I turned around, and when I turned around, they're standing, looking at me, were some warriors with their spears. And she said, I thought probably now that I am going to die. They demanded that I go with them, and so I went with them, and she, they took me back into a village to where there was a, group of, there was a tribe there. And she said, we went back there, and uh, there was a chief that they brought me to. And the chief seemed very friendly and greeted me and asked me a question. He said, are you here from the sent one? <laughs> and she said, well, what do you mean by that? And he said, well, I look at the universe. I look at what's up here. Who made all of that? Are you here from him? And well, she said, yes, I am. And she began to give the gospel to that man. And she said, I led that chief and some of the tribesmen to Christ. And she said, then we had a big meal, and I had to go back to my truck, and here come these tribesmen, and they got their spears, and they have no idea what to do about a motor and a truck. And she said, we go back, and we, I went in the truck and started the truck up, and would you believe it, it started right up, and off I went. Isn't that an amazing thing? But you know something? I don't know too many great stories like that. I mean, some people get saved like that. I have never in my life had somebody come up to me and said, you know, I've been looking at the universe. Could you tell me how to find God? Now, it'd be great if they would. She had that. These verses are saying you can look to the universe and say, there's something about that vastness that tells me about the greatness of God. In verses 4 through 6, he's talking here about the arrangement by God. In verse 1, he's talking about the argument of God. In verse 2, he's talking about the argument about God. In verses 4 through 6, he's talking about the arrangement by God. And he talks here about the sun coming out like it is a bridegroom, and he gives a great description there of the universe. Now, the fact is, this is a wonderful world that we live in, but not too many people come to know God by looking at the beauty of the universe. So we come to verses 7 through 11, and he takes us to a second area. And thank God for the Bible. I know your pastor loves the Bible. This church loves the Word of God. Last time I was here, I was so impressed with the Bible knowledge your church has, and I'm so glad your pastor is a graduate of our college, by the way. But in verses 7 through 11, we are given information about the Word of God. And there are six things listed here. You'll see them there. They're almost like equations. God says, because this is true, this is going to be true. Look at what the equations are. In verse 7, he says, the law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. That is the equation of conversion, being born again. 
What is the law for? The law brings us to Christ. The Bible says the law is a teacher. It is a tutor. It is a schoolmaster to bring us to Christ. When I read the law, I know there's something wrong with me. So it equals the conversion of the soul. If you look at verse number 7, we find not only conversion, but what I want to call the connection. In verse 7, it says the testimony of the Lord is sure. When you read about the testimonies of God in His Word, they are sure. They make wise the simple. You see, when you and I come to God's Word, we shouldn't come to God's Word and say, God, uh, here I am, I'm brilliant. But we come to God in simplicity, and God says, I'll make you wise. I've had people ask me things through life, and I've given them an answer. They say, that's a great answer. They walk away, I think to myself, I didn't even know I knew that. And you have too. Somewhere God has given you that in the Word, either in your study and your prayer life, and your studying of God's Word when your preacher was preaching. There is a connection of the Word of God. It makes wise the simple. If you look at verse number 8, he speaks here about correction. It says, the statutes of the Lord are right. Notice they are right. And they rejoice the heart. Obedience to God's word is what brings joy to our life. A lot of people think, well, I can go live my life. I'll live on the edge all the time. That's not what brings joy in my life. And then in verse number 8, he also speaks about the commandment. He says, the commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The commandment is pure. It equals an enlightenment of the eyes. And God's word begins to change us. In verse 9, we have the cleansing of the word of God. He says, the fear of the Lord is clean Enduring forever. This book, when you read it and apply it, it cleanses you on a daily basis. And then he also says in verse number 9, there's a chastising hand of the word of God. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. There's the chastening hand of God. You know, maybe right now some of you got things in your life against somebody or they've got something against you, and every time you see them, you feel kind of bitter with them. God will deal with you about that. God will deal with them about that. I remember years ago, I had a good friend of mine, and boy, we got into a good argument. I was right and he was wrong. You know how that works. And it really began to bother me. There are times I'd wake up at night and say, man, I better get that right. And one day I went to him and I said, you know, let's get this right. And he said to me, I was wrong. I said, no, no, I was wrong. He said, no, I was wrong. I said, no, no, I was wrong. We almost got into an argument who was wrong again now. But once we cleared that, boy, it was so refreshing. And you see, that's what he's saying, that the judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. So look at those six equations, conversion, connection. He speaks here about correction. He speaks about commandment, cleansing, and chastising. He says, because these things are true, that's what will happen in your life. There's something very special about the authority of the Word of God. I have a very wonderful son-in-law. I love him a lot, and he's a great young man. And uh, he, was, uh, he used to come to my church when I was in Florida, uh, in the singles group, he was an unsaved young man. And uh, one night after a Sunday evening service, I sat down with him, and his name was Scott. I said, Scott, I want to show you something. And so I went through the plan of salvation with Scott. And I said, now, Scott, would you like to accept the Lord? He was a very good young man, had a Jewish background. He was adopted into a family, a wonderful young man. And I thought, you know, he's just ready to accept the Lord. He thought for a few minutes, and he said, no, I'm not ready to accept the Lord. I was kind of disappointed when he told me that. And I said to him, I said, well, what would it take for you to accept the Lord? What do you need to do? He said, I need to read the Bible all the way through. And I thought to myself, he won't do that. He's just not going to do that. Well, he did. He read the Bible all the way through. I asked him afterwards, I said, and you've read the Bible all the way through? I, he said, yes. I said, every bit of it? He said, every bit of it. 
I said, did you enjoy it? He said, yeah, I really did. I said, are you ready to accept the Lord? He said, no. I said, what do you got to do now? He said, I want to do it again. And so he wanted to read the Bible through a second time. He did. In fact, he wrote a book and gave it to me that he had put out all these scriptures and written them out. And, and, and so when he was done with that, I said to him, I said, oh, Scott, would you like to accept the Lord? He said, no. I said, well, what's going to take for you to accept the Lord? He said, I just don't know if it's real yet or not. So I take trips to Israel, so I paid for him to go to Israel with me. And he went to Israel. I just knew on the Sea of Galilee he'd come to Christ. I just knew at the empty tomb he would just explode and come to Christ. We're at the end of the trip, and I said, Scott, are you ready to accept the Lord? He said, no, I'm not. I felt like asking for my money back. <laughs> and so I said, what's it going to take? He said, I'm just not sure yet. He read the Bible through a third time, three times. And I took a group of young men. Uh, we were in Florida down to see the Florida Marlins play baseball with, against the New York Mets. He's a big Met fan. We had seats right behind home plate, right at the screen. You say, how'd you get seats like that? In Florida, not too many people go to the ball games. It's not that big a deal, all right? But we sat there, and, and as the game was about to begin, he said, you know what? I really think I want to accept the Lord. I thought to myself, we're in the Sea of Galilee. We're at the empty tomb. He wants to get saved at a ball game when the game is about to begin. He came to Christ today, not today. He's my son-in-law. But how many people do you know? that have read the Bible through three times and gone to Israel free. <laughs> How many people do you know have picked up the Bible and said, man, that's, the, that's what I need. I know of a man who picked up a gospel track, read a gospel track, and uh, he, ha- he, he led hundreds and hundreds of people to Christ just from that gospel track. But that's unusual. That's not how most people come to know the Lord. So we, we don't say to people, well, look at the wonders above. Just go do that and come back and tell me what you think. Normally, we just don't put a Bible in somebody's hand and say, well, now you read it and come back. It's great to give Bibles out. Don't misunderstand me. It's great to take the scriptures around the world. But that's not how most people come to the Lord. With all due respect to the authority of God's word, the inspired word of God, that's not how most people come to know Christ. The third way is found in verses 12 through 14 of this passage. God is seen in the wonders above. God is seen in the... And these wonders that are all around us and in his word. But God speaks to us here through his people. And there's some interesting things found in verses 12 through 14. Again, this psalm is about the perfect revelation of God. I have put in here, how do we know there is a God? But beyond that, how is God known? That's the real issue. So look at verse 12. It says, who can understand his errors? He says, cleanse me from secret faults. The term secret faults there means blind spot. And we've all got them. I can see the blind spots in your life pretty quick. And you can see them in me pretty quick. You know what your sins are. I know what my sins are. You say, what are your sins? I'm not going to tell you. And you don't have to tell me either what yours are. Blind spots. He says, keep back your servant also from presumptuous sin. That means to venture without authority. That means to go somewhere where you shouldn't go. Sins, the Bible says in Hebrews, that easily beset us. He speaks here about keeping back from these presumptuous sins. In verse uh, 13, he says, let them not have dominion over me. The word dominion there is the territory or the sphere of influence. In other words, don't let, don't go into that dominion where there is the territory or the sphere of influence to be taken down. 
He says, then I shall be blameless. That means to find fault with, I shall be blameless. And I shall be innocent of great transgression. And the word there means to go over a limit. Then I love what verse 14 says. He says, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. I will tell you this today, that in every human being, we know there's something wrong with us. We know there's something wrong. The Apostle Paul in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, in speaking about what we are like, he spoke of us as being spirit, soul, and body. Not body, soul, and spirit, but spirit, soul, and body. I have a spirit. And in my spirit, I need to connect with God. And I know there's something wrong with me. My soul is my relationship not only to God, but to one another. Your announcements today were talking about fellowship one with another, which is so important, and we need that. And then there's the body. Then we have this, this flesh that is called the body. So we are spirit, soul, and body. And we know as we get older that our body is deteriorating. There's something wrong with us. We know in our soul sometimes we don't have the right connections. But deep in the spirit, there's something missing. And what is missing is this relationship with God. And the psalmist here, prior to the cross, and you're saying about the cross so beautifully today, prior to that, he is saying that we look forward to the cross. These Old Testament saints were looking toward a cross. Thank God you and I look back today on the cross. But stop and think for a moment about the joy of the cross. I stand before a holy God today as if I had never committed a sin based upon the righteousness of Jesus Christ. In Colossians 1.12, the Bible says, I am qualified to stand there. Nothing in my hands I bring simply to the cross I cling. When you're saved, when you're born again, when you become a child of God, when you're in the family of God, it's a wonderful thing to realize that you stand before a holy God as if you had never committed a sin. That's because of what Jesus did on the cross. Think of the cross for just a moment. See him bleeding, dying there. See him going through the agony of understanding that he would have to go through all of this for your salvation and for my salvation. See him as they placed the crown of thorns upon his head, and as the prophet Isaiah said, they plucked the beard from his face. They spit upon him. They whipped him across the back. One poem put it this way. It said, well, might the sun in darkness hide and shut her glories in when Christ the mighty maker died for man the creature's sin. If salvation is some other way, then what in the world was God thinking? And what was Jesus doing going to the cross? What was the purpose of that? You see, the only way people come to God is through the cross. It's coming by way of the cross, the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And we're saved by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, if that be true, then how would people know about this? How do people know what's going on? When I was in Florida, I had some people in my church that used to some played football with the Miami Dolphins. Some used to play with the Miami Dolphins. I had two men on my, uh, that were there. One was a deacon and one was a pastor on our staff. We were both former star Miami Dolphin football players named Tony Nathan and Don McNeil. And once a year, they said, we're going to take you to the, to the alumni box so you can watch a football game. Now, the alumni box is where all of the former players will go and sit and watch the game. There's food there and all kinds of stuff. It's a lot of fun. And once a year, they would take me there. But if I would go in there and say, my name is Dino Padron, people would say, you don't belong in here. But if I went there and said, I'm here with Tony Nathan or Don McNeil, they'd say, come right in. And that's how you get into God's family. 
You come by Jesus. You can't get some other way. Now, if that's the case, then that's the message that needs to be given. When you talk about missions, when you talk about reaching the world, how is God going to be known? He's going to be known when you send missionaries. He's going to be known when we help those who are in the lands that need to be supported. He's going to be known as we tell others about the Lord. I got a call just the other day from a good friend of mine. His name is Don. Don uh, worked with us on a TV program we had for a while at the college, and, and Don, uh, Don was a good friend. Don was an unsaved man, but he became a friend. And he had a credit card, and every uh, month he would call me up, and he would take me to a place called Christie's. Now, Christie's is no longer in Binghamton, but he, he called me up, and he said, you want to go to Christie's? I said, you got the credit card? He said, yeah, we go to Christie's. Off to Christie's we go. Once a month we did that. And one day I got really burdened about Don because Don, I felt, really didn't know the Lord. And so I, we, we ordered our meal. And I said to Don, I said, now, Don, I want to talk to you. And I began to go into the gospel with him. You know what he did? Don threw his hands up in the air like that. He said, don't talk to me about being a Christian. He said, I've been a Christian all my life. I was born a Christian. Don't talk to me about being a Christian. I said, well, Don, I don't think you were born. He said, no, no, don't talk to me. Go find somebody who needs this. And that was the end of the conversation. I thought, well, I did my job. He got sick not too long after that. And one day he called me up. He said, look, I'm feeling better. I got the credit card. You want to go to Christie's? I said, if you got the credit card, I'm going to go to Christie's. So off to Christie's we went. He looked very anemic now. I remember when we made our order, and, and uh, I looked at Don, and I said, Don, I want to talk to you about something. He said, what do you want to talk about? I went to the gospel again. He did the same thing. He threw his hands up in the air. He said, I'm a Christian. I was born a Christian. I've always been a Christian. And people misunderstand so much what the gospel is about. And I said, well, Don, that's impossible. You weren't born a Christian. You may have been born into what you think is a Christian nation or maybe a Christian family or whatever, but people aren't born as Christians. And I said, oh, Don, I want to go through this plan of salvation with you. And he looked at me with disdain almost. I said, oh, Don, if you get up and get mad and walk out to your car, I'm going to follow you out and talk all the way to the car. I said, if you walk into the bathroom to get rid of me, I'm going to walk right in there with you. And uh, so I went to the gospel with him. He just sat there and stared at me. And I'll never forget, because I came to the cross, I've seen it so many times, an old tear coming down his cheek. I knew God was working. And just when I was asking him to bow his head and pray and ask the Lord to save him, the waitress showed up. She got the food. I said, you wait there just a minute. Don bowed his head and gave his life to Christ. And when, she, when we finished praying, she threw that food down, and, man, she got out of there. <laughs> Don said to me, you know, I've never heard anything like that before in my life. And I said, Don, you've probably heard that many, many times. But you really listened this time. My call from him just the other day, he called to tell me one thing. He's in a nursing home. He said, thank you for telling me about Jesus. And you know what? I almost gave up on him. I almost said, I, I, I tried, I did it, did my job. I was preaching last year in a Bible conference in northern New York, and after the service, this was a nice conference, several hundred there every night, and after the service, I was out at the table, and there was a young lady stood there, and she was looking through our books. I went over and said, can I help you? And she said nothing. So I walked away. I noticed she kept looking through things, and I went back and said, can I help you? And she said nothing. Then I noticed she wrote a, something on a piece of paper, and she placed it there on top of the books. Someone over and picked up the paper and looked at it, and she said, I'd like to talk to you. I thought, well, that's what I've been trying to do, talk to her. 
I found her, and she was there under that big uh, pavilion, and I sat down, and I said uh, with her, what do you want to talk about? And she had just come back from New York City, and she had really lived a life of wicked, wicked sin. My friend Don was very moral, by the way. Here was a woman living in wicked sin. To make a long story short, I had the privilege of leading her to Christ. And after I got done praying with her, I turned around, and there was a woman standing there. It was Grandma. She said, I've been praying for that for a long time. That's how people come to know Christ, the praying Grandma. Grace Fabian was a graduate of Davis College in 1959. Grace Fabian went to Papua New Guinea with her husband to translate the scriptures. And um, he was translating 1 Corinthians chapter 13, the love chapter of the Bible. And when he was doing that, the man from Papua New Guinea who was supposed to be helping him murdered him. He became, a, he became literally a martyr for the cause of Christ. Everything was in a hubbub. And so they came back to the States. They have the funeral. The pastor put on the platform a pair of shoes. They were Mr. Fabian shoes. And said, who in this audience will come and get in these shoes and go back to Papua New Guinea and finish the translations with Grace Fabian? And the one that came and got in the shoes was Grace Fabian's son. They went back to Papua New Guinea and finished the translation. Thousands of people now have the scriptures in their own language. That's the way people get to know about God. Yesterday, I was in Swansea, Massachusetts. My Two of our friends at the college and I drove over and came back. Got back about midnight last night, and we went over there for the funeral of Vince Griffiths. Vince Griffiths was one of my dearest friends. I was the best man at his wedding. Vince was a missionary to uh, the Cameroon, and um, he went over there. They sacrificed much materially to go over there. For 16 years, he has battled prostate cancer. And uh, recently, they gave up with all the chemo and everything else, and they said, we're going to treat the patient, not the cancer now. He very quickly died. I I went to see him about three weeks ago before he died. And uh, he, had a, he had this great sense of humor. He was a brilliant man, had this great sense of humor. They came in, they put him in the chair, he barely could sit down, and he slowly put the glasses on, and he looked at me. I said, Vince, do I look better now? He looked at me, and he slowly began to take those glasses off. <laughs> but what a, what a time we had. And he slowly went to be with the Lord over about a three-day period. Slowly, that cancer took over him. And yesterday we had the service. The church was packed. You couldn't get in. One after another, they had to stop it, of people telling the blessing he and his wife were to them because of what they did with the gospel. Founding a school in Cameroon, the Rainforest Academy, a teaching there when there was nobody else to teach, building a building when there was nobody else to help build the building. You see, when it comes to the, to the end of how people really are, get to know God, that is how people get to know God. You can say, look at the universe. See what's up there. Did you know there are 350 billion galaxies in the universe? Frankly, who cares about that? I don't know if there are or not. All these muscles in the, that animal's head, who cares about that? Well, here's the word. That's what we're taking out. Thank God for the word. But what we need are people who will say, here am I, send me. 
Here's the money. We'll send it. And I will do what I can do to bring people to the Lord. God is known through the wonders above, the word within. And I will guarantee you, God is known. God is really known through his people. When I used to travel back and forth to Davis from Florida, as I said, every once in a while you'd meet some people. I met a man one time. I'll never forget him. Uh, he was a, a real elderly gentleman, wonderful person. He had two big hearing aids in his, his ears. He couldn't hear. He, he, so he talked real loud. And I remember I sat down, and I had a Bible like this in my lap. I sat in the aisle seat. He was across the aisle. He saw my Bible. So he said to me, is that a Bible? But he said it real loud. Everybody he said, is that a Bible? Real loud. Because he couldn't hear. And I remember I said, yeah, it's a Bible. Everybody was looking at me. I'm the guy with the Bible. And he said, are you a, are you a Christian? I said, yes, I am. He said, are you a preacher? He kept asking me all these questions. I thought he was going to ask me what my social security number was after a while. While he did that, a little lady sat down next to me, a real little lady. She just sat there. And he was talking about God in his life and how God was a blessing to him and God this and God that. And all of a sudden, she said to me, she said, that's what I need. I said, what do you need? She said, I need God. He said, what'd she say? I said, she says she needs God. He said, well, tell her, tell her. I said, okay, just relax, and I'll do my best. And I kind of turned my back to him, and I led her to Christ. I turned back around. I remember he was looking and staring at me, and he said, what'd she do? I said, she accepted the Lord. He said, all you people in this plane ought to listen to this man over here, and people are looking at me again. But you know what? He could have cared less, because that's how people come to know the Lord. Father, help us today to see that there's the wonders above, there's the word, but Father, thank you especially for those of us who are the workers that serve. And God, may our heart do all we can do with the burden to care for those who need Jesus. In whose name I pray, amen. God bless.